Welcome into this week's edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast alongside Sun Devil Source publisher Chris Cartman. I'm your host, Kerry Crowley. Chris, we've got a special guest this week on the podcast. Joining us today will be Sun Devil Athletics Chief Operating Officer Rocky Harris. We'll get into his biography because that's not the only title he has within Sun Devil Athletics. He's a glue guy. He's got quite a few responsibilities that we'll get into, talk to Rocky all about later on in the podcast. We're excited to have him aboard, and we hope to have many non-ASU football-related guests from the athletic department over the course of the off-season on this podcast to really give a richer perspective of the day-to-day operations and the goals of the ASU athletic department so that you can learn about what's going on here at Arizona State and uh, voice your opinions about what's going on here about Arizona State on our premium message board on sundevilsource.com on the sanctuary. As you know, we've also got our Sundevil Source premium report podcast, which we'll be releasing this week. A lot of updates on Sundevil recruiting going on right now, especially in the wake of the Eno Benjamin commitment. Uh, ASU picked up the four-star running back out of Wiley East High School in Texas over the weekend at the U.S. Army All-American game. Benjamin made his announcement live on NBC. And Chris, I think that's where we'll start today, talking about the uh, pickup of Benjamin, who right now is the 110th ranked prospect in the class for ASU, is the highest ranked commit the Sun Devils have to date. Yeah, um, kind of knew this was going to happen, um, but it was all just kind of uh, off the record as far as how it was expressed to us. And, and uh, Benjamin actually signed with ASU uh, when he visited uh, about a month ago now almost. Uh, he took an unofficial visit to Texas, um, wasn't exactly enamored with the experience, and he decided on a whim, Kerry, uh, I don't know how many times you've done this, but uh, <laughs> he, he drove 15 hours. Uh, Once. <laughs> uh, okay, so he, he drove 15 hours uh, from Wiley Texas, which is a, a Dallas suburb, uh, to Tempe. Uh, he was there along with several uh, other um, uh, incoming ASU recruits, freshmen, including uh, Ty Thomas and Lauren Mondi, both of whom are also from Texas, right? So uh, Benjamin, um, from there, just wanted to kind of keep it under wraps so that he could make his announcement during the television broadcast of the U.S. Army All-American game. Uh, this is a guy who is the number 10 overall running back recruit in the class. That's uh, the highest rated uh, on at least scout.com uh, of the Tigram era at ASU. DJ Foster was the number 11 running back in the 2012 class, uh, Tigram's first signature recruit. So this is a big time addition for the Sun Devils, uh, increases their profile. You have to think that it wasn't necessarily an easy get considering that ASU has Demario Richard and Kalen Balash scheduled to return some other schools including Utah had a, a better ability to sell uh, immediate playing time but uh, Benjamin was very enamored with the Sun Devils throughout the process he was committed to Iowa very early then he uh, decided to officially visit ASU in early October still committed to Iowa at that time but he had told um, he says that he had told several of the Iowa coaches that he was going to make that trip and then subsequent to, to that, he, he reopened his recruitment, uh, visited uh, two schools uh, after ASU. Um, I think really, ultimately, even though he had a top five or six, uh, it came down pretty much to, to ASU and Utah. But uh, ASU, by all indications, where he really knew that he wanted to be since at least um, the first week or so of December. 
Today is January 9th, the first day of classes at ASU for the 2017 spring semester. Benjamin's on campus. He's a mid-year enrollee. That gives him a built-in advantage for the Sun Devils. He can start practicing with the team this spring. He drove out on a whim 15 hours, you said, uh, to get here. Uh, to Tempe, Arizona. So really the true definition of a, a silent commit to Arizona State. He signed his scholarship papers. Everything was all wrapped up in his commitment. And we go more than a month or a, a little under a month without hearing officially that uh, Benjamin was coming to ASU when he made that announcement at the Army All-American game. He still put five hats on the table. It was ASU, Utah, Texas, Baylor, and Michigan. And remember, he was an Iowa D commit. He officially visited Missouri during the process. So he was clearly a highly sought-after recruit. And the Sun Devils land him, uh, Benjamin, becoming the 13th commit in the class. If you don't count Doug Suttle, who's the four-star uh, devil backer defensive end prospect that ASU signed in its 2016 recruiting cycle, who will also join this class. But right now, uh, Benjamin is a four-star running back, brings ASU's average star ranking up to 3.38 in the current recruiting class, which is just shy of the AS ASU record set in 2015, which was 3.43, Chris. So even though the Sun Devils are 43rd nationally in the scout rankings, their star ranking indicates that they're doing much better in the recruiting process. Right. So they're 17th nationally in, in average star ranking. And uh, ASU has just 13 commits, which is a lot fewer than the average among the top 25 uh, programs in the team rankings right now. So you can be relatively confident that ASU is going to rise quite a bit, uh, may in fact be among the highest risers um, depending on how they finish, right, in the last uh, three weeks of the recruiting cycle, ASU actually has the highest star ranking among the teams that are outside of the top 30. So that gives you an indication of what we may be in store for here in the next few weeks. And, and we already know, of course, that ASU has a number of its top prospects that are, are left uh um, on the board and still haven't made their decisions. And that's going to be coming up in the near future. In-state alone, you have Austin Jackson, Isaiah Polamau, and K.J. Jarrell. That's three four-star guys. And then there's a number of other guys at ASU's recruiting who are also uh, very highly regarded. So um, buckle your seatbelts. And, and, and now more than ever, maybe is an, a time for, for you to get in and join the, the sanctuary, uh, the Sun Devil Source Premium Community. Um, we had just hundreds of posts, carry uh, in the kind of a crazy 24 hours yeah. that led up to uh, the U.S. Army All-American game. You may have seen a post record for a 24-hour period on, yeah. on that day. Yeah, there was um, minimum 30-plus uh, message board uh, pages or, or, or pages on one thread related to um, late uh, um, fluctuation with the recruitment of Bubba Bolden, the number one safety prospect in the West, who ultimately stuck with his, um, uh, what we knew was his plan to uh, commit to USC. But ASU um, was very much involved there. And, and that's something we're going to really uh, give a lot of details on the reporting uh, of, of how that unfolded behind the scenes uh, on the premium side also. So ASU picks up Benjamin and what he brings to the fold. 8,000 yards from scrimmage in his high school career. Is keep that a in, lot? Keep in mind, he played Texas high school football. So, yes, that is quite a lot. Uh, over 5,000 yards rushing in the last two years alone. Over 100 touchdowns in his career. Five foot 10, 203-pound back. He comes in for spring. And this is a guy who might be able to play right away, although ASU does have Demario Richard, who's already back, excited for spring practices on campus, ready to go. And Kalen Balaj, who uh, could potentially uh, decide to 
enroll or could potentially decide to uh, elect to forego his senior year of eligibility and enter the NFL draft. But right now, Balash has not made that decision. He has a January 20th deadline to do so, and quite a few underclass and running backs have already declared for the draft. So if Balash decides to return, ASU has a full stable of backs ready to go for 2017. And you know that you know Benjamin isn't messing around. I mean, no. he graduated high school early, uh, enormously productive career, uh, over 100 touchdowns, played a lot of, of uh, wildcat quarterback, what ASU would call it, Sparky Package. Uh, that was something that uh, appealed to him at ASU. He's uh, 5'10", 203 pounds or so, so he's physically prepared uh, to come in and play, especially when he has the spring. Um, on Saturday, he was uh, in San Antonio for the U.S. Army game, and by Monday, he's in Tempe again for the start of classes. He, he just tweeted that out. So this is a guy who, who's um, extremely accomplished and then also very focused on trying to have a, a, a big impact and a, a first-team, all-Texas type of a uh, running back. I mean, he's among uh, the top um, producing running backs in the country over the last few years. Yeah, really interesting to me that ASU now has two running backs pledged for its 2017 class from the state of Texas. Eno Benjamin joins Trelon Smith, the Cypress Ridge running back, who is a three-star prospect. He will enroll in the fall as long as he follows through on his commitment. All signs are that he will do so and sign on February 1st, signing day for ASU. So that would give ASU two prospects at the running back position from the state of Texas. A few other prospects, Ty Thomas and Lauren Mondi, who were uh, early signees for ASU. Todd Graham continuing to go through with those Texas prospects as we've talked about a lot over the last few weeks on the uh, Sun Devil Source Premium Message Board, the Sanctuary. We've talked about ASU's recruiting um, approaches under Todd Graham uh, really significantly, and we've we've done a lot of data-driven analysis of how the Sun Devils have pursued certain recruits. And to put these two running back commitments in perspective, Dennis Erickson, over a five-year period, signed two total prospects from the state of Texas. So clearly very different strategies. Yeah, and uh, we would definitely invite uh, people to check out the multi-part series that we've done on on, on recruiting. It's, what, now five five sections we're, long? We're, he- we're heading to our fifth part. Fifth part will be the, yeah. the final analysis, really uh, based upon all of the, the data that we've looked at and uh, extensive mapping, regionality. Uh, we've looked at the proximity to recruiting, junior college recruiting. We've looked at uh, a myriad of really approaches that uh, have been taken uh, over the last two uh, coaching staffs at ASU, a 10-year period. Uh, it's something that would that would take a minimum of, of multiple hours to really <laughs> yes. d- digest, you know. And 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 nobody um, that I've seen has has done anything that that's this comprehensive. Um, looking in their rearview window at, at, at recruiting, certainly at ASU, and uh, it, it sets us up for the ability to have a lot better perspective on recruitments, coaching staffs, the overall approach, and what works at ASU from a market-specific standpoint. And um, and I, I've enjoyed um, the fact that um, a lot of this reporting has been enabled by um, uh, your addition to Sun Devil Source. So I think that, that there's just a lot more of this stuff that we're going to be able to do into the future. 
So right now, ASU picks up the commitment of Eno Benjamin on Saturday. The Sun Devils, as we've stated, 43rd overall, but 17th overall in terms of average star rating, which ranks fifth in the Pac-12 right now. The Sun Devils obviously have a chance to close really strongly. You mentioned the three in-state prospects on the board, a number of other high-profile high prospects on the board for the Sun Devils as well, even though ASU only has 13 commits right now. So there's still plenty of other names out there, Chris. And one thing that we do need to touch on is next weekend's official visit list because the dead period is coming to an end for all programs around the country and the Sun Devils will begin uh, the recruitment period in January with a list of a long list of official visitors um, including offensive tackle George Moore you've got uh, wide receiver Gavin Holmes who's a scout top 100 player the 88th ranked prospect in the country he's a Texas high school guy you've got Two defensive backs who are currently committed to Utah, uh, Tariq Lewis, one of them, he's a junior college guy, uh, Greg Johnson, one of the scout top 100 players, an athlete from Hawkins High School in Los Angeles. So ASU going hard, going heavy with this first weekend coming out of the dead period. Yeah, you really have just three official visit weekends remaining, and we're uh, now at a stage where the schools want to uh, understand where they're at with some of their top targets. And so you want to bring in a lot of those guys in, in this weekend, uh, try to close them down uh, before you make decisions about going to your secondary guys in, in the last week or two of the recruiting cycle. Uh, ASU is still going to take at least another half dozen or so uh, commitments, we believe, between now and February 1st, National Letter of Intent Day. So there's a lot of excitement that, that that's going to unfold. And then you're going to have um, uh, a big part of that will be the, un, the uh, in-home visits that will... Uh, take place between Todd Graham and other members of ASU staff, uh, which uh, often immediately precede some of the decisions that will be made by, by some of these guys that we've mentioned. So that's something that in great detail we will be uh, covering on the site. And there's a lot of excitement right now, as there always is at this time of year. So since the month of December has started for ASU, the Sun Devils have picked up commitments from Blake Barnett, the four-star junior college transfer who was uh, really at Alabama at the beginning of the year. He'll be eligible four games into next season. They picked up a commit from Alex Perry, the four-star cornerback from Bishop Gorman. Tyler Johnson, the four-star uh, devil backer prospect from Highland High School in Gilbert, DJ Davidson, three-star defensive tackle, uh, who was initially signed with UCF last year, but was able to get eligible this year and is now a mid-year enrollee at ASU, and then, of course, Eno Benjamin over the weekend. So, Chris, looking at the way ASU's momentum has shaped up over the past month, how do you see this Sun Devils class closing out in terms of players they might take, players uh, or position groups they're looking at uh, finishing strong at? Well... Todd Graham has made um, it very clear that he wants to improve ASU's overall uh, profile in the secondary. And so that's kind of where their their uh, top priority has been. Of course, they, they are making it very clear that they'd like to take an offensive tackle with George Moore and Austin Jackson, and that's something that makes a lot of sense. Um, they have already tripped Gary Johnson, who's the number one rated junior college inside linebacker in the country. Uh, and so I think those are the areas where they're hyper-focused. Don't need a quarterback. You have two. Don't need a tight end. You have one. And that's uh, already been kind of de-emphasized as a position to some degree. They may or may not, may or may not take a, a wide receiver. Uh, you don't need a running back, as we talked about earlier in the podcast. And then along the defensive line, uh, they took DJ Davidson. They could probably use one more big body 
there. Um, there's a couple more rush end possibilities that are out there, the devil backer spot. But really, the, the, the primary focus right now is on getting better in your secondary, uh, adding a uh, athletic inside linebacker if you can, and then a guy who can probably play left tackle for you. So that's our update on ASU's current recruiting situation. We are now 23 days away from February 1st signing day for the 2017 class at ASU. Certainly some interesting developments over the weekend, and we only expect that to continue as we move along. But, Chris, coming up next, we'll have an interview with Sundival Athletics Chief Operating Officer Rocky Harris. Looking forward to that. Absolutely. All right, welcome back to the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. And as promised, we're joined now by Sun Devil Athletics Chief Operating Officer, Rocky Harris. Rocky, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. All right, we'll start off by going through your biography right now. You've done quite a bit during your time with Sun Devil Athletics, coming up on five years uh, in the athletic department. You joined ASU Athletics in 2012 as the Senior Associate Athletic Director for Communications. And by June of 2012, you were named the Senior AD for External Relations and promoted to Chief of Staff in May of 2014. Since then, Harris has been named Chief Operating Officer, and in that capacity, Harris directs strategic planning, implementation, administration, and supervision of the day-to-day operations of Sunderland Athletics. Additionally, Harris is also the liaison between ASU and the Pac-12 Conference, and he also oversees the athletic department's business plan, leading fundraising, communications, outreach, and capital programs. Under Harris's direction, the Sun Devil Club has broken numerous fundraising records, including $86 million of donations in 2015, while membership for the Sun Devil Club has doubled under Harris's watch to now include over 16,000 members. Right now, Harris has undertaken the development of ASU's 330-acre athletics district with the goal of monetizing that land into mixed-use facilities. And uh, on, a, on, a pers- on a more personal note, Harris's dad was a student athlete. His mother was an ASU professor. He graduated from ASU, and he now teaches a graduate-level course for ASU sports, law, and business. So I don't know when you sleep. <laughs> yeah, and I have three little girls at home, too, so that probably takes more of my time than anything. <laughs> Unbelievable. I just um, was telling Kerry earlier, I just refer to you as the glue guy. You know, you're like the person that maybe isn't out there in, in terms of a lot of people knowing exactly who you are, what, what it is that you do, but uh, it's like the, 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 the basketball team that has a great point guard and you take that guy off the floor, everything kind of uh, doesn't quite go as, as well. And, and uh, I think that's... Um, for my money at least that's kind of one of the most important positions that you have in an athletic department and, and what's but what's it been like um just kind of is it, has it been a whirlwind seeing the way that you've evolved through your your career already at asu to this point yeah, you know when i came to asu it was about coming home and uh, being close to my family my mom has leukemia so it was really personal for me to come home and i actually was concerned about working at asu because of my love for asu my passion for asu and i didn't want that to get ruined uh and what i've seen though over the five years is uh my passion my uh loyalty to asu has actually helped me do a better job because i'm doing it i think for the long term and not the short term i'm not trying to find quick fixes so when people ask me uh, questions, when they want to know things, I give them the honest answer, even if they don't want to hear it. And that includes my boss and everybody else is that they know that when what they get with me is somebody who cares and somebody who wants to do the right thing by ASU. So I think that's what's probably helped uh, me advance here and, and, and grow here at ASU is I love it. And I also think there's a lot of room for growth. Uh, we have huge potential, great 
opportunity and we haven't even come close to reaching it. And I want to be a part of uh, the group that, that later on, when we look back in 20 years, says, wow, they, uh, they did a lot of groundwork there to help us be uh, at the very top now. Yeah. What, what have the challenges been like um, transitioning from one boss to another boss, uh, having these different hats that you've had to wear uh, over the last four years or so, five years, um, and, and being where you're at now in, in the broader uh, sense of, of what's going on in the ASU athletic department. Yeah, so I'm somebody who just have I've always embraced change and adapted well to change. So I think that's uh, that's uh, obviously a good trait characteristic to have here at ASU because we've uh, evolved quite a bit over five years. I had four athletic directors, including an interim, in my first two years here. So the last three years has been stable. I have one athletic director. Um, he and I see eye to eye. We really get along well. Um, he's got a big vision, and I love that. Um, he's not doesn't have constraints around the department. He doesn't. Um, say this is why we can't do things. Uh, he points us in a direction and my job is to help the department get there. So I love being the behind the scenes guy that you, you talked about earlier because uh, he is so good at being external, so good at being out there. Early on in my time here, I was really the person who had to be out there a lot. I had to do a lot of the interviews. I had to go out and do, do a lot of the speeches. And he's so good at getting people to believe in what we're doing that it's allowed me to sit back and be able to do the work behind the scenes. Um, so I, while I enjoyed being out there and being the front guy, I enjoy a lot more having him do it because he's a much better messenger than me. And I'm pretty darn good at running and operating a business. Now, behind the scenes, the chief operating officer, you've obviously got your hands in a lot of different projects right now, especially with the stadium renovations, the 330-acre athletics district. What's your day-to-day -day job look like, at least right now? I'm sure it changes throughout the year. It really does. Um, I'm somebody who tries to look uh, a year or more uh, in the future, and I build to that. So while uh, every day is different, I'm working on different projects, it's all leading to something down the road. And I think that's allowed me to be able to prioritize what's most important. Uh, we have a phenomenal staff. Uh, our staff gets so little credit for how good they are. And I think a lot of it is because we have some big personalities at the top of our department, from coaches to Ray, even to me and other people on the senior staff, that they get drowned out. So really, because of them, I'm able to look forward. Um, and so the day to day for me changes every day. Uh, right now, today, I not to bore you with details, <laughs> but uh, I had a, a meeting this morning with our architects and, and design firm for Papago for our practice facility. We had our senior management team meeting. Uh, now I at, from here, I go to a meeting with the professional soccer club about negotiating a lease agreement and helping them out. And then we meet with our coaches uh, about Papago. Uh, and then I have a meeting with Danny White this afternoon. Uh, but uh, at the same time, we're also planning uh, what's happening next with the district. We're uh, on calls about Sun Devil Stadium in phase three, what's uh, the changes that are taking place there. So all of this is happening at the same time, and I, I, I oversee a handful of sports too. And my, uh, my, first, uh, my first class I'm teaching is Wednesday, so I'm also spending some time tonight preparing for that during the national championship. Carrie read off um, some of the fundraising records that have been accomplished vis-a-vis um, uh, -vis the stadium district, right? And... Um, there's a perception out there among ASU fans, which I've tried to dispel through conversations with you and others, uh, that the delay in the uh, third phase of the stadium is not related to uh, a shortfall of, of uh, fundraising, right? Can you uh, maybe expand on just kind of what's going on there, what led to the decision to delay it by a year, and where you guys are at uh, in terms of the health of the, the, pr the project financially? Yeah, absolutely untrue that uh, we're we're short on money. We're running out of money. Uh, that 
uh, quite the opposite. In fact, we have uh, exceeded all expectations. We've had the the largest fundraising. Uh, project program in the history of ASU with Sun Devil Stadium. Uh, we've surpassed three goals already, and we're going to uh, uh, announce another uh, goal to raise even more money for the stadium. Uh, the, the reason why the change happened so quickly is because we had a few uh, donors and cor uh, corporate entities step up and say, we want to support you more. We want to uh, make this east side of the stadium even better than you've already imagined it to be. So we can't go and redesign a stadium in two months. And so the decision was, do we, for 65-year, 70-year plan, do we just move forward with what we have, or do we make it even better and delay it? And so that was really what uh, the decision was. And it was a pretty easy decision, I think, for Dr. Crow and the senior staff uh, to make because it's about uh, the long term, again, not the short term. So while we knew we were going to take a, a, you know, a few punches to the gut and a few slaps around for, for the decision, I think long term, what I always say is that the truth wins, right? Mm -hmm. And as they see the end product, they're going to be much happier uh, with what it will be. We're still in the design phase, so the details will come out. Uh, but yeah, no, it couldn't be further from the truth because uh, we're so proud of the fundraising that we've done with Ray, uh, with Coach Graham, with the ASU Foundation, with our donors really leading the way. Uh, the volunteers are the reason why we've had so much success here. And I think handing the keys over to donors, uh, to volunteers, uh, to coaches, to really be the voices for us out there is the reason why we've been successful in this campaign and others. Well, what are some of the mileposts um, or benchmarks, I guess, along the way that you've been really proud to, to reach from a fundraising perspective? Yeah, or just um, the, the project in general, maybe. Yeah, so we never had a don donation above $5 million in the history of Sun Devil Athletics before this project. Um, since then, of course, you, 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 know, you know that hockey donation of 30 plus million. Uh, we've had four or five donations of 10 million plus. Uh, so that's, I think, just changed the game for us. It, it, it uh, showed the community that you can invest in us and the investment will, will, will not only help student athletes, but will help our community. Uh, so that was, th those are some big ones, the big numbers, but what made us more excited is the, that we doubled our membership growth because that shows a community of support, not a, a handful of wealthy people who have the ability to donate a lot of money and they do. It shows that everybody's believing in us and the project. Um, while all the information uh, may not be out there um, every day like people want, uh, we, I think, have done a great job managing this project. Uh, while imperfect like everything, uh, I'm, I'm proud of uh, the project and what it will be when it's done. Do you think that the stadium project has enabled that growth in the Sun Devil Club membership? Because obviously uh, a football stadium is such an important asset to an athletics community and, and a university community as a whole. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's tangible, right? Mm -hmm. It's something that uh, if you donate to it, you can see it uh, be constructed right before your eyes. So I think it is more uh, than just the construction project, but the way that uh, we as a university came together uh, around this project. We rallied every part of the university from the chief marketing officer to the CFO to the fundraising unit, and it is fully supported by Dr. Crow at the very top. And so that level of support is what our athletics community needed to see. And when they saw that, they had confidence. And, and I think the hiring of Ray Anderson really lifted it up because I saw the minute we hired him, it elevated even further uh, because of the way he talks about things, the way he looks at things. And people said, man, he's not just stopping with a stadium. He wants to turn this into more than a stadium. And that got other members of the community uh, on board and supportive as well. So, so does this project then make Sun Devil Club and the overall operation of fundraising at ASU a lot better positioned subsequently? It does. It, 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 so what, what it did for us is it allowed us to have uh, the biggest project in the history of ASU 
um, have our fans, our donors, our community be the ones to make that happen. And so now we have this base of support. We have donors from the bottom, uh, $100 donors, all the way to the top. Uh, that are not only believing in a stadium project, that's a small thing, but they're believing in the future of Sun Devil Athletics. And what the stadium did is it gave us a project to go out and talk to people about in a unified fashion. And so now what we're, we're going to move forward with is a lot of other projects that we uh, layer under that umbrella. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, yes, the, the stadium project uh, gave us a unified voice. It allowed us to collaborate and come together. And now we have a roadmap for future fundraising projects on how to do them. Um, it, it, again, it, it was imperfect. Normally you go out the fundraising, you do a, you know, a quiet phase for a year or two, mm-hmm. you get a certain amount of money and then you go out with a public phase. Well, we didn't have the ability to do that. We, as ASU does, we said, let's go, we'll figure it out along the way. And we pretty much ran out with construction, uh, the construction piece of it the same time we did fundraising. Mm-hmm. And we've been successful in spite of that. I think a lot of times when people think about a new stadium, they, they want something that's in a a new location they want brand new but when Chris and I noticed the renovations on the west side when we first came into the stadium this year when you gave us the tour we were really impressed with how new the stadium actually looked on the west side and how how different it was from the experience that people had at Sundival Stadium before so now that a lot of the west side has been complete I think people are interested in knowing when the video board's going to be erected when the west side suites are going to be completed and do you have details on on that yeah so the video board will start being constructed in February probably the end of February It'll be completed end of May, early June at the latest. Uh, that's an exciting project. That'll uh, enhance the game day experience. Uh, I've seen this happen in other facilities where you put a video board in. It allows more uh, uh, engagement with the fans. Uh, we're so used to, we're spoiled now with the at-home experience. Um, what it does is it allows you to bring some of that into the stadium as well. So you have the best of both worlds, the live event experience and the at-home experience in one place. The west side, uh, the uh, club will be constructed on the same. Right now, they're working on that. Mm-hmm. It'll be over this uh, probably June, July. It'll be complete. Um, they're going to finish everything in the club except for uh, three or four of the suites that we uh, are still in the process of selling. And then as we sell them, we'll complete them. But the clubs and the suites and everything will be complete. And we're really excited about that because our largest contributors, our donors who've invested the most amount of money, um, decided along with us that they could delay their portion of the project in order to make sure the rest of the project was completed. And uh, now we're just so happy that they're going to actually get uh, the product that they paid for originally and allowed us to delay um, to make sure we finish uh, phase two on time. A lot of the uh, feedback that we get about the stadium has been uh, regarding the overall production value or feel of uh, game day experience. Um, is that something that you think can be marketably improved? And what is the process by which that happens beyond just adding, you know, from an infrastructural standpoint? Yeah, that that is uh, probably the area that we need to improve most now that we have uh, a video board that's uh, that allows us to invest more in that area. Um, we are we have hired a, a third party firm to come in and manage that going forward. And I think that's really going to uh, I saw this happen when I was at the 49ers and Texans, when we brought an outside group in to, to manage it, at least to consult and be a part of it. Then the, the production becomes much bigger than what it was based off of two little boards in the corner. Now, uh, you know, we're, we're going from uh, what was like an antiquated drive in movie uh, to a virtual reality studio uh, in, in, in Europe. Um, it's going to be that much improved experience and so we can't uh, just rely on the, the the ways we did things in the past 
Uh, to me, the the game day experience uh, from our, what we control uh, outside of uh, operations, which I think we do a really good job of operating the stadium. Um, the overall experience is something that uh, we haven't even uh, touched the tip of the iceberg on. That it is going to dramatically improve, and the video board just gives us an excuse to invest more in that area. Mm-hmm. What's been the feedback that you've received so far on the project in terms of what fans saw from the stadium this year and, and what they're hoping to see in the future? You know, I think that uh, you, with projects like this, uh, change uh, is is difficult for mm-hmm. a lot of people. So. Uh, while the vast majority, over 90% love the project, love the changes, there's always going to be a group that's really hard to have something different than what you had before. And I think for that group, uh, what I've done personally is try to talk to them about the reasons why we made the changes. When it comes to little things like I'd rather have this or that, um, you know, the stadium is, you have to make decisions on the stadium and those have been made. Uh, So overall, I would say that the the fans have loved the changes. There are things Things like, you know, not liking to walk upstairs or wishing that we didn't have drink, uh, you know, uh, holders on the seats. So what we've done uh, is we've looked at how do we increase the vertical escalation in future phases of the stadium. Um, We've even uh, gone as far as if a fan does not want a drink holder in the seat in front of them, we've taken them off, removed them for them. So we're trying to accommodate within our power what we can accommodate to make sure it's the best experience for everyone, knowing that it can't can't be perfect. So the the student athlete facility, the, which will house ASU football uh, after, uh, or sorry, in the summer, I, I suppose, right? Um, there hasn't been a lot of, uh, you know, photographic evidence or video about this, but how is that progressing? And why do you think we haven't necessarily seen as, as much of that as what fans maybe would hope to? Yeah, I'm, I'm fired up about the, the student athlete facility. I think it is an absolute game changer for our football program. In addition to that, it also allows uh, the Carson Student Athlete Center to free up some space. And we've gotten a donation to totally uh, change Gene Boyd's area, uh, the the academic space. Uh, we're going to take over the third floor. We're going to spend over $2 million on turning that into a state-of-the-art student That's athlete. That's where football currently That's is. That's where they currently yeah. are. It's going to be incredible. It really is. Um, we are rolling out uh, uh, just in time for February 1st uh, uh, a walkthrough of the Student Athlete Facility. Um, we are going to have uh, some video uh, components that come out. Really, uh, with that, it's just a matter of timing. We wanted to release things strategically, and we think the best time to do that is a few weeks before signing day. And, and the recruiting component is so – it's like the lifeblood of a program, right? And is that the kind of thing that coupled with the changing of the stadium environment, making it a more intimate feel, filling the capacity better, how do all of those things kind of – combine create the synergy that then enhances a a program's ability to go to the next level I mean, all those things work together, right? You can't have just one or or it doesn't work. Um, And actually, when Ray got here, we increased the project budget for the stadium to include the student-athlete facility. And so I think that uh, with just uh, looking at the student, uh, excuse me, the fan experience is just one small piece of it. Um, It has to be a holistic approach, and that's what we've taken here. And I think that, you know, when you look at how uh, normal projects are run, usually do one, first and then the other one. Um, well, we're doing them both at the same time. And what we see is there are no excuses from a revenue standpoint, from a student uh, athlete recruiting standpoint, from a fan experience standpoint, to not be at the top uh, of not only the Pac-12, but in the country. And what I what I always say is you don't have to spend more money, although we are spending $268 million, and now you know that will probably increase on, on those uh, a football facilities, student athlete facility in, uh, in a stadium. 
what I, what I see personally is that it doesn't matter how much you spend. You have to do things that fit your community and your brand and who you are. And so we spent a lot of time saying, okay, we don't need to be like Alabama. We don't need to be like this other school. Let's see how what works best in Tempe for us at ASU in Sun Devil Athletics and try to make it uh, try to make it the best experience we can. And that's really where every time we go back to thinking about where we want to invest money, it's okay. How does that differentiate us? Because I hate zero sum games. I hate trying to compete for something that we're like moving the goalposts at all times we're changing and so if you don't sit back and say does this really improve recruiting or are we just doing it because to keep up with the joneses and i think that's a big mistake Mm -hmm. so while we are way behind in our facilities now we're catching up uh it doesn't mean we have to do everything the same way that other people do them although we did do our video board about a a foot uh (laughs) larger on each side than the u of a that's but that was mostly just to 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 have something else to brag about it's got a lot of attention i think yeah clearly clearly that was intentional (laughs) so now that you've got the the football stadium renovations underway you've got the uh, multi-use athletic department district underway you've got the student athlete facility underway ray anderson also talked about the potential of improving asu's basketball facilities and wells Fargo Arena. Do you have a potential timeline for that or or, are there talks in the works for that? Yeah, no timeline, but it is a priority for Ray. Um, We have about 15 facilities that we want to improve or, uh, or build. Uh, over the next 20 years with uh, our arenas being uh, a big part of that. So, yes, uh, you know, football and, and basketball are the revenue producers. They're the most visible sports, whether we like it or not, those are the facts. And so if you're going to monetize your athletic department and make sure that you provide the most res- more resources to all 26 programs, uh, football facility, basketball facility are two priorities. And so we are, we have been investigating that. We do uh, have some uh, early uh, plans that aren't aren't near complete yet. And then once we're, we're comfortable that we have the community behind it, then we'll go out with something. So wanted to get um, some additional clarity on the uniform situation. I know there was a memo that got reported on. Um, and then that got a lot of subsequent uh, attention from fans and others. Um, as I you know, I, so let me just interject there. <laughs> please Sorry, please do. That, you can just take yeah. this over yeah. right no, now. No, if no, you I want think to, that please. what I love, and actually Bob McNair, the owner of the Texans, told me this a long time ago. When people are frustrated, when people uh, are concerned, when people voice those concerns in whatever fashion they choose, it means they care. So I'm somebody who, when people criticize, when they uh, are frustrated, I love talking to those people because I know they care more than anybody. So let me start there by saying that when when I hear things from fans, I take it for what it is because they care. They want what's best for ASU athletics. They might not always agree with why we're doing things or what we're doing. But when I explain to them why we make decisions, they tend to go, okay, I don't always approve, but I get it now. And so that's, I think, probably a little bit of what the uniform piece of it. Uh, we wanted to make sure uh, not to create some uh, layers of approval for uniforms, which seems so silly. We wanted to make sure that we there is a, a level of uh, department-wide uh, clarity, department-wide consistency with our uniforms, and not the way that it's been handled in the past is coaches can just decide what uniforms they wear, they design them with Adidas, and then those are what what goes out. And without really having our brand people involved with it, without having the sport administrators always involved with it. So when something happens, when a uniform is, is worn and the community reacts to it in a strong way, we can't defend it by saying, well, our uh, baseball coach approved that. 
Well, that doesn't make sense. Uh, this is a so for us, we didn't uh, go out there to try to add an extra layer. Uh, of, uh, of approval, we went to make sure that as decisions are being made, they're made in the best interest of the institution and the athletic department and not just for one program. Do I see it significantly changing the uniforms you wear? No, I don't. Um, what, it, what it means is now that if a coach wants to make a decision that's out there, that's not aligned with our brand identity, that they have to have a really darn good reason for it. They can't just go make a decision uh, in isolation. Now, if they decide to wear regular uniforms, if they want to wear a salute to service uniform, if they want to wear a traditional uniform, uh, if they want to wear black, maroon, gold, white, any of those, there's never any approvals needed. It's when they have something they think is a really good idea that's different and stands out. And if you looked at the memo, the last line actually says that we'll take those on a case-by-case basis. So it doesn't mean that they won't get approved. It just means that Ray has to know about it. So when you wear a uniform for a traditional game or a game against U of A or a homecoming, um, that there's a reason why we're doing it. And we're not just doing it uh, for one thing alone, which is recruiting. Now, that's a very important part of the uniform uh, around our brand is recruiting, uh, connecting with young people. So we're not trying to do anything to take that away. We're just trying to make sure it matches up with our brand identity overall. So for fans out there who are worried about it, there's still going to be plenty of innovation and, and, and uh, alternate jerseys and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think that you know we just have to make sure that um, when you look at it, you see ASU, you see Sun Devil Athletics. I love the edgy stuff. I'm somebody, I live on, I'm a marketing guy. I live on the edge, right? Mm-hmm. That doesn't always mean that's the right thing to do. Um, so, yes, I love alternate uniforms. I think that they really um, do allow us to stand out. But that's changing now. Everybody has them. You know, Notre Dame even has them. Yeah. These traditional brands have them. So what, what used to be uh, a, a point of differentiation for Oregon, even for us when we originally launched, is really uh, not as important anymore. And what we see is, is as important as making sure that everybody, when they see a uniform, they go, uh, that's ASU, that's Sun Devil Athletics. And if they don't see that, they can explain why they don't see that. Oh, it has camouflage on it because they're uh, paying respect to the military. And I think that... Again, this is just us evolving as a department. It's not us trying to slow things down. Earlier, you brought up that you don't need to compete with the Alabamas of the world. You don't like the concept of the arm ra- the arms race. And I think that's a really important notion for fans to understand because ASU has prided itself within the last few years on being this number one university, university in innovation. And I'm wondering how that innovation impacts your job on a day-to-day basis. How, how much of that initiative is a part of the athletic department's overall initiative? It's a part of our DNA. Um, we uh, take calculated risks every day. We're innovative. We pride ourselves on that if somebody's doing something one way i actually try to do it uh see how we can do things differently i i I like mimicking when it when it makes sense when it fits with who we are but i like more when we uh, see an idea that another school or university is doing we say that's nice but we're going to do it this way instead so i think that's part of what's fun here is that uh, a lot of the institutions it's much different than in pro sports where you can innovate where you can stand out and be a little bit different uh, we tend to copy each other a lot, right? And so that's something that while we will continue to do that, I don't think that, I think that us being an innovative university and us being an innovative athletics department allows us the freedom to try new things, to take risks that sometimes fail, um, knowing that we're going to get to a better place at the end. And, I, and that is just so much fun to be a part of an athletic department that um, is forward thinking, that's trying uh, new things and not stuck with what worked in the past. You work as as closely with Ray Anderson as anybody, and um, 
this was his first foray into college athletics and probably his only job he's ever going to have in college athletics, as he said. You better not go anywhere. <laughs> right. So what's been your perception of just how he settled in, given the enormity of the challenges associated with where he just kind of was dropped into this thing uh, related to the, the, the facilities district and all the coaches that needed to be hired and the expansion of uh, senior staffing and, and on all of that? You know, Ray uh, is somebody who is, adapts very easily to his environment wherever he's at. Uh, and he, for the first year here, he didn't just sit there and say, I'm going to study this, I'm going to assess this, and then I'm going to make decisions. He came in on day one and said, based on the information you're providing to me, I'm making X decision. And I think that's why he was so successful is he didn't, he wasn't tentative. He wasn't afraid to make decisions, even without all the information. And a lot of those decisions now are paying off. Uh, and so uh, now I would say he's, uh, if not one of the top 80s in the country right there. And he's, you know, one of the, the least experienced in the college space. And I think part of his former experience in the private sector, in the NFL, with a professional team, uh, as a student athlete really allowed him to have a different view to come in here and not again say this is how I did it at, uh, at Georgia Tech this is how I did it at Minnesota no this is how I'm doing at ASU because of all my other experiences that allow me to make different decisions than we made at other places um, so I think that's why he and I have worked so well together is we think the same way um, I do have a full two years of uh, uh, you know more college experience in him but that doesn't mean that uh you know, overall, that's not something we, we hold on to. We don't sit there and say, you know, how did ASU do this 30 years ago? Uh, we say, what's the best decision based on the information we have today and what we plan to do in the future? Mm -hmm. um, so I think he's, the community's really bought into him. I mean, he's hired like 15 new coaches. Yeah. And, and that's kept me up at night too, by the way. <laughs> I bet. I spent a lot of time uh, working with him on those. Uh, and the reason why is he wants what's right. Uh, he wants to do things. Uh, and if he thinks that a, a, a program's, not successful, not heading in the right direction. Um, he doesn't, he's not somebody who just pulls a trigger quickly, but he has a really good sense for coaches. Being an agent for 20 years gives him a really good sense uh, for hiring coaches and, and, and when it's their time to, to leave. And uh, I'm most impressed actually with his ability to hire coaches. Uh, he can sift through reams and reams of information that my staff provides him. Um, and within minutes, he can assess it and say, these are the handful of coaches I like most because of these characteristics. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's something that, that is a skill set that you can't just acquire. It's natural. And I think that's one of his best attributes that a lot of people don't know about him. Mm -hmm. So now that you've been in college athletics for five years, you've been in the same position since May of 2014, and you've been working with Ray for three years now. Does that added stability of working with one another make 2017 an opportunity for you guys to do more than you have in, in years past? Yeah, Ray and I actually just talked about this last week. We said that 2017 could be the best year uh, in Sunnyvale athletics history. I'm um, just looking forward to all the projects we have in mind, all the relationships and partnerships that we're uh, embarking on right now, uh, the future projects, um, the ability for our programs now to take a turn uh, from you know 14 or 15 new coaches to allow them to have more stability. Um, the history of ASU athletics is instability, is not having somebody at the top who stays here wants to be here, stays here, and doesn't get attracted uh, to another school, to another place. And Ray uh, and, uh, has assured me, uh, his wife's assured me, this is his home. This is where he wants to be. 
Um, and I think that, you know, the fact that we have some really key senior staff members who've been here a long time too, you know, we have, you know, the Godfather, Don Bakke, who's been around forever. <laughs> only Godfather. Him, yeah. Uh, we have, you know, Mike Chismar, who's been here 36 years. So while we raised, done a good job of mixing in new talent, he's also, uh, given the people who've been here a long time a voice, uh, to be able to make sure we're not making similar mistakes. Uh, but again, uh, not holding on to things from the past. And so that's probably, you know, for me, the most exciting thing about 2017 is we've been working for a few years now to set a lot up. And it, while it may not all come together this year, uh, we're going to make a lot of progress. You've talked about in this uh, podcast, you've talked about um, looking into the future and, and trying to have an eye on what, what's to come. When you step out of the ASU bubble and you look at college athletics more broadly, right, you, there's um, just a, a, a hockey sticking of coaching salaries and facilities spending and uh, a, lot of, a lot of potential pitfalls to uh, avoid. Um, uh, including uh, schools that now can't afford to get rid of coaches uh, because of the contracts and, th- and some of those things. What do you see uh, as the overall uh, uh, college athletics climate right now, and where will that be in the next few years, do you think? Yeah, you know, so I think that the last few years, uh, the NCAA is making some great strides in uh, providing student-athletes with some basic resources that they didn't have access to before. And I think that was re- that's really then of the short-term trend right now is to try to maximize the resources, the, uh, the, the items that you provide to student athletes to make sure while they're going to school here, they don't have to worry about a lot of other uh, external issues where they can make sure that they can eat meals and have a place to stay, uh, cost of living, ba- uh, enhancing food and nutrition. So really the last few years, I think NCAA is focused on, on that piece of it. Um, the few years before that, we really focused on generating revenue, so bringing revenues up. And what I mean by focus on it, you focus on it until you feel like it's on the right track, mm-hmm. and then you, you don't feel like it's solved, but you feel like it's in a place where you can move on to something else. So it went from revenue generation to student-athlete resources because of the revenue generation, by the way. And I think next what we have to do is figure out how to uh, create more balance, uh, how to make it so as I'm talking to donors, if I, as I'm talking to government officials, as I'm talking to the community, I can justify uh, salaries uh, of senior people, of, of coaches, uh, and, and make sure they're held to the same standards as our student athletes are. Um, so, you know, if a, if a coach leaves on their own, uh, there's a small buyout, but they can just walk away from the team tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, that doesn't seem fair when we hold our student athletes to other standards. So that's just my own personal opinion. Sure. It's not an institutional one. And I think that needs to probably get, uh, there needs to be more balance around that. I, th- I think coaches should be paid well. They have a lot of pressure under them, on them, a lot of stress. They're, spe- they're very, very special at what they do or anyone would do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that uh, the pendulum needs to swing back to the center a little bit, and we need to have contracts that actually mean something. I think we need to have more incentive-based contracts, so you actually have to do something to get something. I think base pay should be still strong, uh, but that's where I think the increases should come, and and that's my own personal opinion. I think that's probably the next thing that needs to get back to center, which isn't right now. Now, you mentioned that the history of ASU is, athletics at least, is instability. If you guys are able to make 2017 the year that you believe it can be, how well would ASU be positioned nationally to to compete against some of the larger athletic departments, some of the programs like the Texases, the Ohio States of the world that 
don't seem to have problems raising money that haven't had historical issues with with instability. Yeah, and so part of that is, you know, if you look at those programs, they've had stability at the top for more than three, four years, mm-hmm. right? So it, this isn't going to be something that's a quick fix that we can just solve. But, uh, you know, we're, we're putting together building blocks uh, for the future and things that what I always look at, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, are, you know, where can we differentiate ourselves? What makes us special here? So we're in a unique market. We're in a big market. I think that over time, that's always been seen as a negative for some reason. I don't get that. All right. I just don't get that. I will never buy into that. I think that is a major, major uh, uh, advantage for us that we haven't uh, uh, advanced to, to the fullest extent. We haven't fully maximized that. And and until we do, I think that we're still going to be somewhat average. So instead of using that as an excuse of market conditions, this or that, I say, well, how can we make things, how can we use that to our advantage? One way is the athletics district, right? So we have that going to, that's going to be developed over the next 20, 30 years. That's going to provide, you know, up to 25, $30 million for the department every year in 20, 25 years. Um, we increased our endowment from under 10 million to around $30 million um, in just four years. So those are projects that are looking towards the future. And those are uh, projects and initiatives that other schools that have been very successful did 20 or 30 years ago. They took their own points of differentiation, what makes their market special, what makes their university special, and they started planning around those rather than what you can't do. And so uh, that's what I see. Uh, again, I, I'm somebody who tends to see uh, things as you know, glass half full, a little bit too positive sometimes, too, too future thinking, too uh, looking at the future as something that's going to really work out. Uh, when I got here, I didn't feel that way about ASU. I felt like we had walls around us. I felt like we, the culture had crumbled. Uh, I felt like it needed to be rebuilt. And I feel like we're really far along in the process of uh, putting all the pieces together to be a long-term success. So when you see the long-term success, the problem is historically every AD, every person who's worked here has really tried to make that year look really good. We've taken the opposite approach. We're trying to, in 10 years, the people who take over for our jobs look back and say, man, they really set us up for success. And even with things like information or communication or people getting frustrated, uh, I always look at how that will be judged at the end, right? The legacy piece of it. And I'd much rather um, set things up for long-term success than have lots of success for the three or four years and then it blows up again. Um, The number one priority for us should be keeping Ray Anderson here. Uh, having Dr. Crow as our president because those two are in such alignment and the community sees that, my staff sees that, uh, the university sees that. And I think that right there, as long as we have stability at the top, uh, we're going to be in great shape uh, for years to come. Rocky Harris, the chief operating officer of ASU Athletics, a lifer as a Sun Devil and the glue guy of Sun Devil Athletics. Thank you so much for being with us. Appreciate the time and uh, to our Sun Devil Nation out there, uh, you're lucky that we have such good reporters like we do here. They're giving you information that you don't get elsewhere. The level of reporting here is professional, um, but also informative. Uh, Chris tends to know more than I know a lot of times. And so that's Stop. fun to, to talk to him and ask him what we're actually doing. Um, but uh, you are getting information from the source. And so I think that you should be really proud of the level of reporting, the professionalism, uh, and the fact that uh, although it doesn't always feel like it, we are uh, completely accessible and transparent. Um, I will say things uh, to you as fans, to supporters, uh, that I won't always say publicly. So re- feel free to reach out to me. We can always have discussions uh, on the side. Um, but I, I really enjoyed the time here. And very generous of you. Thank you, Rocky. Yep.